I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome back to a two-part Redbox special podcast on the most exciting part of the British Constitution. Yes, it's the House of Lords. I'm Esther Webber, trying my best to figure out how the whole thing works. In the previous episode, we heard about the different types of peers and what they do. In this episode, we're going to talk a bit more about how Brexit has turned fresh attention on the House of Lords and where they go from here. Even though Brexit hasn't happened yet, Parliament has already passed some of the biggest pieces of legislation in preparation. Most notably, the bill which enabled the government to trigger Article 50 and the EU Withdrawal Bill, which transposed a lot of EU law into British law ahead of our departure. Both of those bills were the subject of long, intense debates in both houses, and I should know because I sat through most of them. And in the Lords, they faced significant and repeated defeats. It led to the Daily Mail publishing headlines branding the Lords the unelected House of Wreckers, and the Express dared them to ignore the will of the people at your peril. It reopened the perennial debate about what the House of Lords is for and how it is made up. The argument surfaced again that the entire institution is out of date, not fit for purpose and in need of a complete rethink. So was this criticism of the Lords as unrepresentative or fundamentally opposed to Brexit actually justified? Here's Lord Tyler, a senior Lib Dem peer. Well, I think in this sense, yes, 
uh, because I think early on, after the referendum, people of all parties, people from the government side as well as from the opposition side and the independent crossbenchers, not party people at all, saw quite early on that this was a great deal more complicated than anybody had understood it to be in the public and in the political world as well. I mean, just take one obvious example. Throughout the whole of the referendum campaign, and I was involved and I was interested, I wasn't actually that vociferous on one side or the other because I thought there could be some some uh, advantage longer term, not in the short term, longer term, of a different relationship with you. But nobody ever mentioned the problems of Ireland. Nobody ever said, what are we doing about the boundary between EU, Southern Ireland, and non-EU, Northern Ireland. Nobody did. It was never discussed. So I think what is true is that the House of Lords was much more speedily aware of the complexities, the complications, and that it wasn't anything like as simple as perhaps some politicians at the other end of the building and the public had been given to understand. Now, I think we've been gently proved right. But it isn't because there's a a sort of great resilience, uh, a reaction, uh, as some have claimed, uh, that we're all terribly fuddy-duddy and we don't believe in democracy in the House of Lords. We don't have the last word. The Commons will always have the worst last word, even with a minority government as we have at the moment. But given also that halfway through this process in 2017, uh, Theresa May went to the country asking for a big majority to carry through Brexit. And she didn't get that majority. But I think there's been, since that election, there has been a greater awareness in the House of Lords that we carry additional responsibility to represent the fact that the country is still very unsure about what should happen next. And in those circumstances, given that had she got her majority, if people had voted by a large increase in turnout for that policy and that party, it all would have happened by now. We would have swapped the gun shooting through. But it hasn't because she was greedy. She wanted a bigger majority. That gives us, I think, a bigger democratic responsibility to look very carefully at what's going to happen. I also spoke to the Lord's leader, Baroness Evans, who has been responsible for steering a lot of the Brexit legislation through the House about whether she thinks Brexit has put the Lords on a collision course with the British public. It's undoubtedly the case that the overwhelming majority of peers, I think, would voted for Remain. There was a lot of disappointment in this house, I think, when, you know, when they found the result. But people have accepted it and actually have worked quite constructively in order to help to deliver it. And obviously we haven't been involved in the various votes that have happened um, in the Commons. So to a degree, it's been slightly frustrating, I think, for people here sort of sitting and waiting and watching um, because sort of while we were obviously involved in the big bills up to the meaningful vote since then, it's been the Commons who've had the votes and we sort of haven't. We've had various debates and all that sort of thing, but we haven't sort of had to get our teeth into anything. So I think that, and I mean, you know, for me as well, it's been slightly frustrating sitting here watching and waiting um, and sort of seeing what's been going on down there without us being playing a role. There's certainly something going wrong when even our resident hereditary peer, Lord Bethel, thinks the establishment is out of step with the public. The whole of the British establishment has found itself out of step with the country. Um, It's been a huge grinding of gears 
and you know, the difficulty we've had both constitutionally and psychologically with Brexit is a lot to do with the fact that our representatives and members of the establishment take a really different view to a hell of a lot of the people in Britain. And it, it, it does make you pause and think whether we're doing things right here. That said, it is incredible um, to have the kind of legal and political and practical expertise you have in the Lords brought to bear on this difficult subject. And uh, Brexit will happen. And when it does happen, I think it will have benefited from having gone through the mill like this, even if the sight of it and the time taken up by it is pretty uh, wearing and uh, inglorious to watch. In that sense, peers have a duty, particularly on this issue, to defer to the Commons? I think it's a classic British mixture. We aren't a populist state. We don't use referendums very often, and I doubt we'll use them much in the future. <laughs> uh, we seek to have a mixture in our legislature of expertise and representation. And of course, this, this issue is a really vivid example of where the so-called experts are out of sync with, with the public. But I kind of rejoice in that. I think that, that it looks bad, but actually shows how the constitution works. Because if, if we really did only blow in the wind of public opinion on every subject, the whole country would be ungovernable and the decisions we made would be bad ones, I think. But making the case for the Lord's defence is Baroness Smith, the Labour leader in the Lord's. She's one of those who thinks the Lords has just been doing its job in thrashing out which bits of the Brexit framework are holding up and which need more work. I think sometimes people don't understand what powers the Lords has. And there's people saying you've got to block Brexit. We don't have the power to do so. Um, what we do have the power to do is suggest changes because anything we do on legislation has to go back to the House of Commons. So we work closely with our Commons colleagues. When we, like the withdrawal bill, for example, we made suggestions and changes on that, which the government made a huge fuss and song and dance about. We got criticised and moaned about. Every so often we get some MP jumping up, including ministers. We'll create a thousand extra peers. We'll shut down the Lords. When push came to shove, they accepted most of those amendments in full or in part. And the meaningful votes issue, where Parliament, the House of Commons, had to vote on whether or not to accept the deal, was actually put in by the House of Lords. So I think what we try to do is A, be helpful to the House of Commons, but B, the government has to be challenged. Um, and we will push things to challenge the government, but we do so by marshalling the arguments we really are factually based. It's not about opinion, it has to be about arguments. And because we have to win over crossbenchers, everyone across the house, you can't just say, oh, we think we shouldn't do this. You have to make your case. Ironically enough, the amount of bandwidth being taken up by Brexit makes any wholesale Lord's reform seem a long way off. Lord Fowler, the Lord Speaker, explains why. I think the prospect of legislation in the immediate future uh, is remote because um, there is so much prospect of legislation, I guess, uh, on Brexit that is obviously going to take uh, priority. And any party manager would know that if you put any change for the House of Lords in, 
it is asking for trouble in the sense of lengthy debates, no agreement. The Commons uh, will have lengthy debates, the Lords will have lengthy debates, just what the business managers don't want at the moment. Sometimes I see these um, great solutions that are put forward from outside, but they do fall on exactly this point. So what we're trying to do at the moment is to do it on a voluntary basis. We are persuading uh, people uh, to leave. The party leaders are persuading people uh, to leave. And so far, we've had about uh, 60 people who have uh, left um, uh, in the, from the House of Lords. Uh, we need more than that, uh, but we, we have certainly established a, very, uh, a start. I think in the immediate future, thinking of legislation here is, is impractical. I mean, the, the business managers would have a fit if you told them we're going to do House of Lords, little, little House of Lords reform at the moment, because they know it'd be a Christmas tree upon which every conceivable amendment would be hung. But to some extent, this has always been the case. There is always something which takes priority over significant Lord's reform and finishing the job that Tony Blair started. Because Lord's reform is, as one peer memorably put it, the Bermuda Triangle of British politics. There is perhaps a surprising amount of support in the House of Lords itself for overhauling the system. Whenever Lords reform is on the agenda, you can guarantee the House will be full. But it is nonetheless unlikely to happen anytime soon because nobody can agree on the best way forward. Which isn't necessarily to say that changes aren't taking place in the meantime. A committee chaired by Lord Burns carried out a review of the size of the Lords in 2017 and recommended cutting it to 600 peers, mainly through retirements, and limiting terms to 15 years for new appointments. The government says it supports these proposals, but it is not currently prepared to back them up with legislation. Here's Lords Leader Baroness Evans. You need to bring primary legislation in to do it. We've had quite a lot of other things to be getting on with, I have to admit. So it's something that obviously is raised here quite regularly and there's been various private members' bills and things, but it does require primary legislation um, and as we said in our manifesto and sort of um, our approach has been that incremental reform is what we've been looking at and so encouraging retirements and all that sort of thing but we've had other pressing issues uh, not least Brexit to focus on and so that that you know those things have taken priority. Well we're actually making progress on on Burns. Last year we hit the number that he'd suggested in order to you know to go down on an annual basis i think you know in terms of retirements i think there have been over 90 now since um, that was brought in and is becoming more of a sort of cultural change as it's something that people think about um so i think there is things going on and obviously while there's the element of people leaving the house of lords the other element is people coming into the house of lords that's the other half of there's the there's what we can do as a house to I suppose, get our size down. But there's also the other side of people coming in. And as I say, under Theresa, we we have seen a decrease in the number. um, And we'll see whether the new Prime Minister continues with that. 
So that's the government's line. But predictably, Labour's leader in the House of Lords, Baroness Smith, is not fully reassured. There's different views in the Labour Party. There's people who would like to abolish the laws, people who want an elected House of Lords or a sort of Senate-type body, those who would have a different kind of chamber, a smaller chamber. I think perhaps more interesting is that it's the House of Lords that keeps voting for change and reform, and it's the government that won't let us. No, one of the most ludicrous things that ever happens in the House of Lords is by-elections to replace hereditary peers, where you can have more candidates than you have voters. And um, I don't know if people recall the by-elections in Blackadder, in Dunny on the Wold, um, which were sort of <laughs> ludicrous uh, by-elections. It feels like that here. And I think we should end hereditary peer by-elections immediately. And we have a private members bill from Cruz Gokot, and the government won't give it support. The government could let it go through easily, but there's two or three peers don't like it, and it's getting blocked. It's House of Lords itself that set up um, the Burns um, committee to look at reducing the size of the House. And all parties here and all groups are signed up to reducing our numbers over time, to reducing appointments to 15-year terms, and yet it's the government that won't let us do that. So I don't think you'll find many members of the House of Lords, a few, handful maybe, but very few will have problems with reform, different kinds of reform, obviously. I think widespread agreement on being a smaller house. But in terms of my colleagues in the House of Commons, I spoke at the Parliamentary Labour Party, which is MPs and peers, on Monday evening and got a really warm response. They like what we do, we work well together. But I think we all know that if you were starting something from scratch, you wouldn't start from here, would you? And that begs the question, in an ideal world, what would the House of Lords look like? Would there even be one? But first, a quick break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back. I'm Esther Weber, and this is our special edition of the Redbox podcast. In an ideal world, what would the House of Lords look like? What would your ideal version of Lord's Reform be? Here's Lord Tyler. It wouldn't be a dream version. It, it would be a compromise uh, because I've been around too long, perhaps, in, uh, in this bubble here. But I do believe that on the whole, the best decisions, the most long-term decisions, are ones which are, to a considerable extent, compromises. That people have come to the table with principles and they come to the table with clear ideas, but they're prepared to talk them through. And therefore, I would want to have a second chamber, a Senate. I would want to make sure that it had real influence, but it didn't have the last word. I think it is right that the House of Commons retains the primacy. And to that extent, I think it's important that the House of Lords is different. And the new Senate, would it then be part elected, 80% would be a sensible arrangement, 
elected in thirds over a longer period than the members of the House of Commons so that nobody is more up to date with their mandate in the Lords than they are in the Commons. I want them to be elected by a different system to the House of Commons. So again, there would be that distinction between the two. And I would want, above all, to make sure that there were some people in the, in the new Senate who didn't come through by a party political route and therefore could come in as appointees for a limited period again, for, for a 15-year period, but would bring to the second chamber a degree of independence of party control, which I think would be very healthy. So there would be elements there that retained a historic role like the House of Lords, but would be very different in other ways, notably, of course, that uh, eight-tenths of them, or whatever the proportion eventually decided upon, would be, in one sense or another, accountable and answerable to the public. I just think it's a bit crazy that I and other members of of Parliament um, are there not because we are answerable to the people we legislate for at all, but because somebody's put us here thinking we'll do a good, good job. Not just may do it. I don't hope we do. But we're not answerable to anybody. Yeah. And that something may be hard for some people to understand. Do you find it strange at times being part of this house that your party you are committed to fundamentally altering well i suspect by the time it all happens i'll be gone anyway uh, my wife constantly says when you're going to retire properly um but while there's a job to be done here i think it's important we use it i mean otherwise i'm very strongly in favor of a more a, a representative system a more proportional system for membership of the House of Commons. But it wouldn't stop me and didn't stop me being elected under the present system. I mean, if, we, if you give up on the system and you say, well, the whole thing is a disaster, then, you know, you are effectively handing over to people who you probably think are going to be even less uh, diligent in looking after the interests of the country. Lord Bethel, who entered the House through a hereditary peers by-election, is a bit more circumspect. What I would really like to see in any reforms is a thoughtful, whole-scale, long-lasting set of reforms. And I am, like a lot of people, um, suspicious of piecemeal chipping away um, that is mindless and negative and doesn't contribute. Um, In some ways, the House of Lords has been diminished by that. Um, And what we really need is is a thoughtful constitutional reform. Was your father able to give you any advice about coming to this place? He was very keen that we made no assumptions about anything. And I was brought up to assume that the House of Lords wouldn't necessarily be there. But one of the things that he valued greatly as a politician was independence. And it is true that one of the things that the hereditaries provide is that um, you don't owe your political progress to any party or tribe or faction. You really do have a a strong sense of release and relief from uh, the establishment. And you can have a tremendous amount of freedom to speak your mind as a result. And that was something that he did in his life and would be something I'd like to emulate. In fact, I've often thought that one of the main things that keeps the Lords going 
is a pretty broad consensus among its members that even though it might not be perfect, it does the job pretty well for now. Which doesn't mean to say that it can't be improved. As Baroness Lane Fox, the tech entrepreneur and crossbencher, explains here. And I don't have all the answers, but I think that, first of all, there have never been more technologies available that can engage and encourage debate and scrutiny and evidence giving and interaction than there are now. I mean, this is a great time to be involved in politics or policy. It may feel as though the world is bleak and we've elected these awful people in all over the world. I'm not making a reference to our new PM at all. I'm just saying it may feel as though all of this stuff has actually created negative consequences and to a degree that's true. But also we have opportunities as citizens citizens and um, active, engaged human beings to have more direct conversations with our elected leaders and to be more involved at a more deep level than ever before. And I'm not sure that all parliaments are reflecting that back, but I think there is still a huge opportunity to do that. So I feel excited by the opportunity of technology. I just don't think we're harnessing them right yet. When it comes to the future of the House of Lords, I sometimes think the whole issue is comparable to Brexit in a sense, because there are so many different potential versions of reform which people feel so passionately about that it actually reduces the chances of any of them getting done. And right now, it seems as if leaving the EU is a lot more of an immediate prospect than fundamental Lord's reform. At least it provides an answer to the question of what is harder to achieve than Brexit. So for as long as the Lords keeps on its central and bizarre role in our democracy, I'm going to keep on watching and trying to understand what they do. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.